For Spurs fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. For match highlights, interviews and the best Tottenham videos and podcasts, download the free Coys app now from the App Store and Google Play. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Come On You Spurs podcast. My name's Dan Tracy and I'll be your host for the next 45 minutes or so as we talk all things Tottenham because win or lose, we'll discuss the news. It's two up top this evening in our, I guess, extra time episode this week. And leading the front again is Carl. So, Carl, how have you been since we last spoke? Yeah, not bad, Dan. I've had better Fridays, I must admit. But um, I'm sure we all need this to get our therapy in and get it off our chest, mate. Yeah, I mean, I've had better ways to spend my Friday night. But we're here now, so we might as well get things off our chest. That means there's no James tonight. I don't know where he is. I think he's just forgotten the time we were going to record. I don't think he's taken so much umbrage to the performance that he doesn't want to talk about it. Hopefully he'll be back next week. I'm sure he will. But it also means after such a strong performance on Monday, we are keeping the first team squad as it is. And Holly's back in the fold. So Holly, how have you been in these last few days? Yeah, not too bad. Like we've already said already, we've, we've had better Fridays. But apart from that, I'm all right. Right, let's not wait any longer. Before we chat all things Tottenham, let's do the social media bits first. As always, don't forget to subscribe to the Company Spurs app where the podcast is available each and every Tuesday morning. You can, of course, follow us across social media. We're on Twitter at C-O-Y-S underscore C-O-M and we're on all the major audio platforms. That's Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, you name it, we're on there. And if we're not on it, let us know and we'll get it on there for you as well. Right, let's get down to business. And that business, Cole, is quite simply a case of, as you said earlier in the week, Paging Dr. Tottenham. What a rotten performance that was from top to bottom. <laughs> yeah, we, we kind of joked about it, didn't you? But you, you could write this and you, you could, in theory, sometimes put your mortgage on something like this. You know, <laughs> a team haven't won since the return, haven't scored. And as you say, welcome Dr. Tottenham. You know, Dr. Tottenham will see you now. Um, and it was a case of that, wasn't it? I mean, I don't think any of us saw the sort of performance coming that we put in last night um and you've got to say that defensively shambolic going forward no ideas no creativity um worrying times to be honest because you know like I say we was hoping we'd come back refreshed but that performance last night was probably one of the worst I've seen for a long while and I can only put it this season in context with the Brighton away um, performance where we got beat 3-0 but I'm telling you now it, it, I, for me last night kind of signalled some worrying times ahead for us unfortunately Yeah I think that was a bit of a, an eye opener at the very least but Holly there wasn't a lot to talk about in the first half hour but things sparked into life soon after so if we start with their first goal that being Sheffield United's first goal for a Tottenham side that's looked pretty solid in those first two post restart matches that was a rather weak goal to concede wasn't it? Yeah, I, I don't really know who went on. I mean, we spoke lots about this Dyer and Sanchez combo in the middle, but last night that whole back four just kind of fell asleep. We knew that Sheffield wouldn't really have a lot going forward, but it seemed like they were just all over us. It was so strange. I just decided to sit there and watch the ball trickle in the back of, my, of the net. I don't understand whether there was a lack of communication, a lack of saying, right, you need to come in here and help in the box. I just, I don't, under, I didn't understand it at all. I was in full shock. Of course, Cole, we thought, as Tottenham fans, just a minute later, that parity is restored. However, VAR got in the way, got in the way in a big way. Now, I know the use of technology splits people down the middle. It's an argument which is always going to keep rolling and rolling. However, I think everyone will agree, Spurs fans or not, that that was an absolutely shocking call from the man in the control tower, that man being Michael Oliver. 
Yeah, last last we've had this chat so many times, haven't we, Dan? You know, and I think both of us were kind of like in favour of the technology and bar coming in. Um, but when you see decisions like last night's one, you have to question whether this is actually going to do the game any good or not. Because, you know, it, it you're compounded all over the place, aren't you? One, it's a foul on Lucas. He's hitting the deck when the ball is kicked into him. And I still haven't seen a replay yet that could tell me definitely if that struck his hand or actually hit him on, you know, like the shoulder blade or his actual back and spun off to Kane. Um, And then obviously Kane puts it away. But then to compound the fact that not only do you not get the goal, you then also don't get a free kick on the edge of the box and say, well, hold on, I played advantage if that's going to be ruled out and we're ruling it out for the handball, the only reason the guy's handballed it is because he's been hammered to the floor by the defender. So we give a the you know direct free kick there to the attacking team. Yes, you haven't got your goal, but you've got a free kick in a dangerous position now. Not that any free kick to Spurs is in a dangerous position, to be honest, the way we take set plays. But you've got a chance on the edge of the box. You don't even get that. You know, Sheffield United get a free kick and can go up the other end. And I'm afraid decisions like that, if that's going to be what we're going to have to put up with, then I'm all for scrapping it tomorrow, to be honest. And we'll just get back to how the way things were. We want to see the technology to, to make sure that any wrongdoing or teams that are going to be wronged when something should be ruled out legitimately are there. But if that's the way it's going to be used, and it wasn't just that goal, was there? There was a, you know, the goal in the Man City Liverpool game that you could sit there and go again, given for handball. That you go, really? We're giving those for handball, are we now? The game's gone mad. If that's going to be how we're going forward. Well, Mikel Antonio, the night before, like, how's he meant to get out of the way of that? Yeah, effort? that's right. Yeah, and you're just thinking, it's dreadful, absolutely dreadful. I mean, what I guess reinforced how bad it was, was the lack of free kick thereafter. You're sort of thinking, well, surely, what advantage have we as a club gained from that? Nothing. That said, Holly, I guess, if you were to play devil's advocate, what can Michael Oliver do? Because at the moment, he can only interpret the letter of the law itself. So, in the situation we saw yesterday, does that suggest that the law is far too rigid? I think so. I mean, I agree with what we already said. I mean, how can he prevent himself from falling to the ground? And like we said, the ball was smashed at him. There's nothing he can do about it. He doesn't see it coming. He's trying to brace his fall. I think it just needs to be reevaluated. Times like that, you just, the, the ref, okay, like you said, he's going to the letter of the law, but he just needs a bit of common sense. There is no way, we might as well just get footballers with no arms if this is going to be the case from now on. It's, like I said, you just need some common sense in the game. And like we've already pointed out, okay, if we're going to leave it to the letter of the law and disallow that goal, where was the free kick? I think that's what infuriated me more. If we're going to stick to the letter of the law, there must be a free kick there. We had no advantage from that goal being disallowed. Like I said, they then get a free kick their way. I was, after that, I completely lost my head. (laughs) Yeah, well, I think, to be fair, the uh, Tottenham team lost their heads, which we'll get to in a moment. But, Cole, I guess when we come back to the point about common sense, when you're week 33 or, sorry, week 32 of the season and no common sense has been applied up until that point, it's then very hard for Michael Oliver or any referee in the control tower to say, actually, this is the day that common sense is going to kick in. So that sort of lack from the start, I guess, has sort of tied everyone's hands behind their back and has created decisions such as what we saw yesterday. Yeah, I I think the problem is, you know... You can't really jump on Michael Oliver too no. much, in my opinion, on this, because he's looking at it as saying, if I don't give this for handball now, 
then I'm going to be hauled into a meeting room after this game and, and basically belittled and, and possibly, you know, could face some consequences for not giving that as handball and applying some, if you like, common sense. So I think the referees are scared to apply common sense because they know they might face the punishments if they do that. So we can't really blame them too much. They're sitting there saying, the letter of the law says, if it hits a hand in the build-up, we don't give the goal. The, the rule needs to be changed, unfortunately. And, you know, the, I think the refs probably want it changed. If you were to speak to Michael Oliver today, he's probably sitting there going, believe me, when I'm having to tell the referee to disallow that goal, I'm sitting there with my head in my hands going, what is going on here? Think of the backlash that's going to come from this. Think of the abuse I'm going to get for giving this. And I actually don't want to rule that out. But he's got to do his job and follow what he's being told to do. Whoever, you know, These rules need to be looked at. And we can only hope that we've seen enough of these farcical decisions this year to make people sit up and go, come the end of the season, we're changing these rules and we're going to bring in some common sense in this sort of scenario. Yeah, I would imagine yesterday will probably be the catalyst for change. It does us no favours now, it's too late. But I'd imagine that, coupled with Antonio the night before, the penny has finally dropped. I think there's too much of a maelstrom of, you know, disenfranchised people already that this has just added to it even more. You know, you thought that VAR got rid of its teething problems at the first point of the season. Now it's come back even worse. I think this will eventually push forward change. But again, like I say, too late. That said, Holly, we talk about what happened to West Ham the night before. They had a disallowed goal. It would have been very easy for them to sulk. That said, they go on to win 3-2 against Chelsea. So why is our mindset completely different? Why do we then capitulate? It's that mentality again. All the time, it's when we go down a goal, we always have to concede to then lift our heads up. It's, it's, it's mad. And then for them to get a goal disallowed, our heads have sunk even more. And I think it really showed as the game on. I mean, like I said, there was points in that game where people were all over the place. I think it was at one point Lucas Moore was playing right back to help cover Serge Aurier. And at that point, you're thinking to yourself, hang on a minute, something's not quite right here. What are we doing? Absolutely. I'll tell you what was a pet hate of mine, which was minutes after the goal. Cole, when a player gets booked and then just a couple of minutes later, he does something else that warrants a booking. But for some reason, the referee doesn't want to be seen to be dishing out two quick-fire yellows, and then all, all of a sudden that player becomes immune to further punishment, that case being Oliver Norwood. Why do referees bottle decisions like that? Yeah, again, this is one where, you, like, as you say, Dan, you, can't, you can only assume, as you say, the referee then goes, oh, I've just booked this guy, and I, I now literally have to send him off You know, within minutes of already giving him a booking. But the reality is, do your job. Was that a booking offence? Yes. And what's even worse, given the fact of the goal that we've had chalked out, where is VAR in this instance? Yeah, exactly. Where is the guy in the tower sitting there going, hold on a minute here, ref. You may have viewed that as not being a booking, but I'm telling you now, I'm looking at the replay. The guy blatantly looks at Son and goes in with his arm up. That's another booking. You need to give that guy a yellow card, whether he's been booked or not before. It doesn't matter. If it's a yellow card tackle or offence, it gets its yellow card. And, and again, this is where, as a fan, you get infuriated because you think you've been so nitpicky over that goal. Um, where, again, like I say again, at no point can you tell me there's conclusive, conclusive evidence that that actually hits more on an arm. Yet when you can blatantly see a guy look at another player and go, I'm having you, 
put your arm up and smash him in the face. It wasn't a smash, don't get me wrong, but the intention is there. You can get people sitting in the same tower looking and going, yeah, nothing wrong with that, play on. It's Again, it's diabolical. Um, and, and these are the instances I would, you know, I do feel these officials should be put under pressure to come out and explain these decisions after matches and clarify what's gone on there. But we know that won't happen. Um, they try to get brushed under the carpet and forgotten about. And the trouble is, unfortunately, if you're on the wrong end of those decisions, it, there's nothing you can do. It's too late. It's all gone. You've lost the game. We're not saying those two incidences purely are what caused us to lose the game. But I'm telling you now, if Sheffield United go down to 10 men at that point and we've got that equaliser straight away, I do think that's a different game altogether then. Oh, absolutely. The landscape is completely different. And I just think, you know, it's it's almost saying to us as football fans or anyone who watches the game that if you are booked, then you get two minutes free hit because the referee doesn't want to sort of do anything too controversial or too outlandish. And like you say, it's, it's not even outlandish, it's just doing your job, which is the most frustrating thing. Talk about frustration though, Holly. Second half, if we talk about heads have gone, I mean, they were just, well, they completely rolled off our shoulders as a Tottenham team in the second half. We were rancid, and I think the perfect capture of that was Sheffield United's second goal. Three defenders like statues. Least would say Prod's home, the easiest goal we'll ever score. You can either discuss, or are you disgusted? Disgusted. Exactly. I mean, just it's an utter shambles. It really is. And people that are deciding whether or not Jose tactics are wrong or right, I'm sorry, the team we put out on paper should have easily have beaten the Sheffield side and should have easily defended their attacks because we, we talked about it in the previous pod, we said they haven't really got anything going forward, but it seemed like they did last night. Well, exactly. You know, you think, where's this attacking threat come from? Yes, they've done well to get where they are in the Premier League, but when you look at the actual, their goal tally, they're averaging less than a goal a game. They've got three against Spurs. So you think that really is not Sheffield United being amazing or world-class. That's Tottenham doing themselves a massive disservice and giving them a massive favour. That said, Cole, Ollie McBurney at one point looked like killing Mbappe. And by the time he makes it 3 <laughs> 0, when that went in, do you think that hopes of Europe next season are completely now up in smoke? Oh, yeah, definitely. It, it, it's gone now. And, and to be honest with you, you know, I don't think we had much hope, you know, realistically before that. We were relying on too many drop points from teams that don't look like they're going to drop points. Um, but then the night before, you get a surprise result and you think, right, OK. Come on, then. There's there's a there's a slight opening for you, um, and we just go and put in that sort of performance. And again, how often have we seen that from this side? You know, there's an opening or a game where you can really go and kind of set a marker and put some pressure on other people, and yet again we go and throw it away. I mean, all three goals are absolutely disgusting from professionals, aren't they? You know, you've got. Players allowing runners to go off them. I mean, the third goal, Son's tackle, you know, if it's not bad enough that Son doesn't really go with the runner to begin with. And then when he does get close to him, he kind of just meekly lets him, you know, turn and go backwards on him. And Son just, you know, there's no tackle or anything. And then again, the same as the other goals all night. Where is a defender who's close to the guy who then puts it in? You know, Sanchez is behind 
that you know Bernay when he puts that in? Why is he not level with him? Um, saying, right, I need to just be with you to stop you possibly getting a shot away if this comes across now. We just don't seem to follow runners at all or be aware of where the strikers are on the pitch, where the danger's coming from. Um, and, and at this level, you you know, you know, will get punished massively, not even by the best teams, by even the worst teams can punish you if you defend the way we did last night. Um, and and our TNA, if, that, if that's going to be the marker going forward, then we're in big, big trouble, that's for sure. Holly, there was some scant consolation as Harry Kane made it 3-1. At that point, you know, I think everyone done well to keep watching the game. But there will be transfer talk in the summer. There's no doubt about that because there always is. Obviously, it would be very knee-jerk now to say he's off. With that said, on a performance like that, you can understand why he might just be tempted to look elsewhere. Yeah, I still think if we're going to look at it realistically at the bigger picture, I still think he'll stay for at least... At least another year, but I wouldn't blame him if he's looking now and being tempted elsewhere. Like we say, every single year, there's always a transfer rumour that he's off. But this year, I could actually possibly believe the rumour, especially after last night. I know we have to try and keep our heads and look at the bigger picture, but I wouldn't blame him if he was tempted. Well, from a journalist's point of view, that's a very easy link, isn't it? You know, Tottenham failed to get into Europe. The bigger clubs are circling. Two plus two equals five. It's very, very simple. That rumour will happen. I guarantee that. Whether it actually facilitates him to move, less than likely. But we are probably looking at, you know, not the beginning of the end, maybe the end of the beginning in terms of Harry Kane. It's now a case of how many years he will be at the club and whether it's one, two... Yes, Carl, continue. I, I I think the problem here with the Kane situation is when Mourinho came in, I think you're sitting there thinking, if Kane can see some improvement then you might be thinking he's tempted to go, I need to give this guy at least a summer and possibly a full season in charge and see what this guy can do. I think the real danger and problem we've got right now with Kane is if you're looking at this side now since Mourinho's come in, you're going, it hasn't improved at all. Not in any way, shape or form have we improved under this guy. We're not now defensively solid where we're not conceding. And all right, we might only be nicking 1-0 wins or 2-1 wins. We are getting hammered and possibly looking even worse going forward when we were under Poch. You've then got now to compound that with the sense of obviously the coronavirus and the fact that we're already hearing the rumours there won't be nothing to spend. We'll have to sell to try and get players. Now, if I'm, if I'm Kane, I'm sitting here thinking, well, he ain't going to be given nothing to kind of improve us drastically. This team looks shot to pieces. Why am I now going to stay? Because, again, you're talking possibly another three or four seasons before we even get back to maybe contending for a title. The guy hasn't got that much time to sit about, in my opinion, especially now given his injury record. I would be very surprised if he isn't looking, thinking, if I'd seen some improvement, I might have been tempted to stay. But from what I'm seeing at the moment, there's now question marks over this guy and whether he's still got it. And this side and this club is miles away from where it needs to be to win anything. Why am I sticking around? I need to get out while I've still got my prime years in me and the chance of winning things. We don't like, to, we, we obviously, we hate the thought that that's how it's going to be. But you cannot be telling me that Kane isn't sitting there thinking that right now. Oh, of course. You know, if you think of his age, he's either getting to or in the start of his peak. Will he want to spend that peak 
with players that aren't at his level and aren't allowing him to sort of facilitate and get to the prizes he should be getting. Because when you look at his talent, it's criminal at the moment. He hasn't won anything bar personal accolades. Like I said at the beginning of the week, if he gets to sort of 40 and then looks back and thinks, well, actually, what did I win? I've got a couple of golden boots collecting dust. He'll look back and think, what the hell's happened here? Now, it's not going to be an easy decision to make and it's not an easy conversation for us to have. But I think you have to be quite realistic at the same time, Holly, that we need to sort of start discussing about this. Yeah, 100%. I mean, if you weren't going to, you'd just be turning a blind eye to the factor. Like we've all said, like we've said many times, that if you're a professional footballer and you're retired and you look back for Harry Kane, if he doesn't decide to move on like, and we don't get any better, exactly, he's just going to have those golden boots to look at. It's, it's not a great achievement for any player, I think, to be able to do that. I mean, if he's got in his head that he wants to be the best player at Tottenham of all time, then fair enough, good luck to him. But if you look at any other footballer, it's all about what team things they've won. Like, oh, I've won a Champions League, I've won the Premier League. For Harry Kane, he hasn't got any of that right now. Cole, if we look at the turn of the year, I think that was obviously the point where the, the sheen of Mourinho's appointment had gone. You know, it was now a case of this is the real Tottenham-Mourinho combination. Since then, the relationship between fans and their appreciation of Mourinho has been sort of tentative, a bit difficult. Do you think last night, for some, or actually maybe more, was the straw that's broken the camel's back and they're sort of thinking, do you know what? Jose's not for me. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like I say, a lot of the fan base was split, weren't they? Some were glad he came in. Um, you know, others just couldn't stand the fact that we got him, didn't want him in the first place. And, you know, let's be fair. Though there are people who are just looking to jump on him no matter what happens. And the first sign of some bad performances, they were going to jump on him. Um, I was glad we got him. I thought, yes, this could. But there was also the caveat of, well, that's if we get the old Mourinho back, you know, the special one as such. If we get the Mourinho at United and at his last days at Chelsea, then I was under the impression it would be a short tenure anyway, uh, where he wouldn't last long. I've not seen anything so far that gives me any confidence we're actually going to see a long-haul Mourinho run here at this club. Um, and I'm actually, you know, I, last night, again, was a performance that made you think, wow, you can see this turning ugly pretty quickly if that's the kind of football that's coming up. Um, because we do have to say, there's been no improvement. Now, you know, a lot of people like to, yeah, but it's not Mourinho's players. I'm sorry. A manager's job is to go in and possibly improve players as well at the same time. You know, it's too easy an excuse to say this isn't Mourinho's squad. I'm sorry, that's still a squad that in theory should have enough potential for a good manager to go and get something out of them. And a good manager can go and improve players. So, yes, we know he needed to go and get players because, you know, we have got a lot of dross in our side. But there's been no improvement at all. You know, defensively. You was hoping he'd come in and shore us up and suddenly we wouldn't be conceding sloppy goals. Well, cross that one off because we're still conceding as many sloppy goals as we were before. We said Mourinho maybe needed a pre-season. Well, cross that off. He got one almost. He got as good as a mini pre-season you could get with the break coming in. Um, you say he had injuries. Well, again, cross that off. He got a fully fit squad to come back and restart with and all our key players. And we're looking as bad as we were when Potts went. And you have to say, that is not encouraging 
Um, and like I say, those who didn't like him will use this. Those of us who did want him, I think, are now sitting again. Oh, actually, hang on. We, we could have made a big, massive mistake here. And this could turn very ugly. Yeah, I think for me personally, I wasn't necessarily sort of potch out and then Jose in. But getting Jose Mourinho was probably like the, the best way you could have dealt with the situation. Like you say, Cole, we're not really getting the, the special one. We're more getting sort of the damaged one. And you think usually a Mourinho boom-bust cycle is three seasons. Wouldn't even last that long at Tottenham. He's on, what, £15 million a year. And he's not really earning his money at the moment. And you sort of, you sort of think, what's the end game? Now, some people have said, will Levy pull the trigger this early by the end of the season you think no that's a man who's far too proud to be seen to be making yeah. a mistake in public yeah. so that's not going to happen so he will get the start of next season whether he gets the whole one I don't know whether the clamour is correct and fair I think maybe the time is not quite right but if this is all some master plan where we finish outside the Europa League places and we all are fresh to go again and the dividends are brilliant thereafter then you'll sort of accept this bump in the road that we've had this season and you won't really sort of worry about too much that said Holly if this grand plan doesn't come to fruition whether it's by luck or judgement and we finish 9th or 10th this season and miss out again next season it's going to get really really ugly isn't it yeah 100% and like I say okay I obviously didn't watch Poch out and but the thing is I also don't want Jose out now I think I know what Carl's touched on and I get it 100% but I also think with this inconsistency of stopping, starting, stopping, I think it has had a real effect. I mean, I don't agree on this push for Dyer and Sanchez. I can kind of see what kind of angle he's going at with it, but there's Toby on the bench. Like, he's probably our best centre-back. Why is he not starting? So maybe in substitution-wise, I'm not too familiarly happy with Jose. But Jose got ridiculed for having a defensive team and sitting back. But last night on paper, like, I can't see where Jose made a necessary start and line-up mistake. I think the fact that he tried those three runners in behind Kane was showing our intent to attack. It was just a shame that the whole of the squad decided to lose their head and couldn't defend for the game. That's what I felt personally. But yeah, Jose, I think people think that he's got something to prove. But I think for me, I think it's a win-win for Jose. If he doesn't do very well, it doesn't matter because people will blame the board for not pumping money in. And if he does do well, he's a saint. So for him, I think it's a win-win. That's a very good point, actually. It's almost a low-risk strategy for him because his stock is not as good as it once was. Therefore, you think, well, is this the last roll of the dice? What have I really got to lose as a top-tier manager? You'll get paid very handsomely regardless. So, yeah, from his point of view, he can't really lose. One loser, Cole, Tanguy Ndombele. Now, Monday we spoke about him starting potentially... The press conference before the match intimated that he would start. He came on as a sub. I guess it pulled a lot of wool over a lot of people's eyes. But what can you read into that? Yeah, you obviously get the impression that something's not right there. You know, Jose either just doesn't fancy him or the guy doesn't want to be there. And you can tell that maybe, you know, the decision has already been made. Um, I personally don't think we'll see him there next season, given given the way this has gone. You know, yes, he came on last night, but the match was already gone. Um, it was almost like, a, well, I may as well throw you on now because this is gone. So what what more damage can you do, if you like, by going on? Um, I, I, I'd have to say if he doesn't start the next game, given that performance, you would seriously go, well, that's it. He is gone. Because right now, after that second half performance you would ring wholesale changes. I completely agree with Holly on the fact that, you know, 
Dyer and Sanchez, that first game, I was very surprised with that selection. Um, they've had okay games. That's not get that's not get too over the top here. You know, the first game back against United, they did okay, but both teams there finding their feet. The second game against West Ham, well, let's face it, an under nine side could have beat that West Ham the way they came out and set up against us that night. Um, we've now just got drubbed there the other night and the defending makes you think maybe these two are not so great. And when you have got Alderweireld sitting on the bench, for me, he has to start in the next game. I'd like to see him and Dyer together at least. Um, but yeah, I, I mean... If he doesn't start the next game for me, I think you can seriously say, well, that's it. He's gone. Because if you don't get in when a team has just played like that, then there's then there's a serious problem. I do think that's the case. I think there's been a falling out that's, you know, beyond repair. I would imagine he's already looking elsewhere. We may find he heads back to France, PSG. There's strong links there. He's good friends with Kylian Mbappe. So that wouldn't surprise me. Um, and to be honest with you, after last night, if we were suddenly could get our money back on him, given the way that we're not going to have money to spend, if you at least said, well, listen, if we sell him for you know, 50 million, 55 mil, get almost our money back and use that as a transfer kitty, then I'm all for it, to be honest. Holly, another option in terms of enhancing the transfer kitty could be Delhi Alley. Now, he didn't feature from uh, the start last night either. Talk sport about half hour before kickoff. I had it on the radio. They were saying that he should consider moving on and it would be a win-win for multiple parties. Him, the buying club, Spurs because they get some money, England they get a rejuvenated Deli Alley. It's been mentioned, is a theory. Would you be exponent of this decision? I mean, I've said this before. I've said about Coutinho with Liverpool how they took a risk and sold him. I'm not saying Deli Alley is at the same stature as Coutinho, but I'm saying he was one of their star players and they sold him and look at all the things that they got in for him. Like, I wouldn't be against the idea of selling him on, but I also think that having this competition, for him to think, oh, wait, hang on a minute, OK, I'm not going to start every game any now, any every time, I think is a good way of looking at it. I think Delhi's just very laxed when he hasn't got competition around him. There was times at the start of the season where he, he wanted to strive through it and he did for a period of time and then laxed off again. I think... He just needs that bit of competition and you never know, okay, maybe going to another club is that bit of motivation to start performing like we all used to watch him. I think the last couple of seasons hasn't been his best seasons and maybe not that he's bored, but maybe because the motivation just isn't there anymore. And I think it would be, like you said, a win for Spurs. We'd get money in, a win for him. He'd move on. He'd be finding a new team to try and get in amongst it. So yeah, I, I definitely wouldn't be against the idea. Cole, I guess at Deli Alley's age, when he sort of shot through the ranks at Tottenham, there was that naivety of youth, but almost fearless. And then, you know, the career progression was quite quick. Now he's hit that second phase of his career, and it's almost harder to sustain that. If you're not kicking on again, you're not deemed as failure, but you're deemed as, well, hang on, what's happened here? It's almost as if that, that quick rise was almost a bit too quick, and now he's not sort of kicking on even further to the levels that we either hope or expect. Has he hit something of a glass ceiling? Yeah, it's hard. I mean, injuries won't have helped him, will they? You know, those injuries he's had, I don't think will have helped. Um, if you speak to any pros had those sort of injuries, they say they really hamper you. Um, I think there is an element of it, you know, it's gone to his head a little bit. He's now trying to be too complicated in his game. I think it was um, Curtis Woodhouse put a tweet out last night saying, you know, by looks of it, 
Deli Ali now thinks he's some kind of creative midfielder, really good on the ball, can do all this fancy stuff. When what he was actually good at was arriving into the box, getting on headers, you know, getting onto the end of things and scoring goals. And and that wasn't complicated. You know, he just wasn't doing anything complicated. Just, OK, make a run, time the run brilliantly, and you're getting on the end of a cross. And maybe that's his game. And actually, yeah, he just needs to go back to that kind of football. Right now, I think he probably thinks of himself as this, you know, great midfield talent, great passer and out of the ball. And unfortunately, you know, as, as much as he was great, I think anyone who's really looking at him now and his contribution would have to say, yeah, it's pretty poor. Um, and, and I've said it before. To me, this summer now, my plan would be if there's going to be no money to spend until you sell players, Ali and Dembele will be the two players that I'd go, listen, that's shit both of them out. Try and get 50, 60 mil for both of them if you can. Um, because I still believe Ali's got that pull of, of that sort of money about him from a big side. And then we use that money to rebuild. And, you know, if we do it sensibly and do it right and bring in the right players, we could find ourselves back where we need to be again. And it might be time just to say, well, yeah, we had probably, we, we may have had the best years out of you. Holly, talking of contribution, I think we need to have a conversation about the Celso. If you look at his stats and goals contribution, numbers-wise, it's not really good enough, is it? That said, does he offer more, or what does he really do for us? Do we have to look past the numbers in terms of what he offers us on the pitch? I think sometimes people are like too driven by stats. I know stats is very important. But I think to myself, at the moment, who else does a better job than Gio? And sadly, I don't think there is anyone else. I've always, people always compare him to Ericsson, and I don't think he's that comparison. I think Ericsson would ping the ball into the box that was perfect and someone would get on the end of it. Gio is more of a player that will drive at people and stick that ball in behind or spray the ball out wide just to create a bit more space. I think to say that Gio, stats-wise, isn't, delivering what we want I think we've also got to look at the team as a whole no one else is really pushing on to try and play well at the moment I think that was definitely evident last night so I think to be too ridicule or too harsh on the Celso at the moment I think is a bit too much but like I said no one else is performing it's a bit hard to be able to pull the strings when nobody else seems to be playing the way that we want them to play I think what doesn't help the Celso is the fact that he's sort of not really playing in one certain position week to week. He's sometimes as a number 10, sometimes a little bit deeper. And again, it's that sort of jack-of-all-trades, master-none, when you're trying to sort of, A, fit into a new league and a new team anyway. And it's sort of like, OK, well, you're that shape one week, that another. We, can't, we aren't really seeing his very best. You know, Betis levels was chipping with a lot of goals. Obviously, different leagues and it's hard to, to, to compare. That said, though, I think there's still a little bit more to come from him, we'd hope. It's just, I think, like you say, Holly, people are obsessed with numbers. It's a very easy argument to win or lose, and sometimes you have to look just a little bit more past that. Right, where should we go next? Um, we've actually, I guess, deluged with loads of comments from Twitter, so thank you to anyone and everyone who took the time to uh, to moan on Twitter, not at us, but about the, the game. So let's go through some comments now. Uh, where should we start? Nigel Johnston, a regular listener, he said that, Carl, we shouldn't overreact but what has changed since the last days of Poch? Or is it the fact that nothing's changed since the last days of Poch? Yeah, that, that's the worrying thing, isn't it? You, you kind of get the impression it doesn't look like anything's changed. Uh, and that, for me, is the real concern. You know, if, if Jose had come in and kind of, you know, shored us up at the back and suddenly now we were looking strong at the back, 
um, you'd sit there and go, okay, yeah, you know, we can see some form of improvement here and something where, you know, if we can just get a few faces in, we could be okay. We're actually seeing, we're looking as bad now as we were in the last days of Pochettino. And like I say, that that 3-0 defeat at Brighton, the defending has been as shambolic, really, from the start of Mourinho's era and, until now. And, and that's where I think, you know, that's the real worry for me. Um, I would like to have seen at least some form of improvement. And I think the real worry with that is if we were sitting here now saying, well, it's OK, listen, we've got owners that now we just need to get to the end of the season. We'll ship out five or six and we'll bring in five or six or seven players who this manager wants. You'd sit there and go, OK, we can still sit here and say, let's see what happens next season. But we haven't got owners like that. We're not expecting to be bringing in five or six, seven players that the manager wants. We're sitting here going, we probably bring in a couple of players. And one of them will probably be a fallback from Norwich, where you're still sitting there going, he's raw. He looks like he's got some potential. But again, he could come in and be a bit of a flop. So is this guy going to get what he needs to drastically change it? Because if he hasn't had a reaction now, can he get much of a reaction if things don't change that much? That's, for me, the real worry. And that's where, like I say, I'm not saying I'm Jose out by any means, but I, we need to see some something change pretty quickly to give us some confidence that the guy can still turn it round. Carl, I'll stay with you because, obviously, we all know that social media is very reactionary in performances like that, and, and rightly so. In the olden days, that's the kind of performance that if you were in attendance and you had a season ticket book, you'd be lobbing it on the pitch and saying, that's enough, I'm sacking it off. <laughs> so in terms of sacking it off, do you think, honestly, this team is now rotten to the core in the same way that Arsenal were under the last days of Arsene Wenger? Yeah, I think so. I think you need a, I think you do need a big overhaul now. You know, listen, the guy gave us one of our greatest moments um, over the last couple of seasons and one that we'll remember for many years. But you've got too many players at the moment, like Mora, who I think the club a few weeks ago put his stats out for the season in a tweet that I'm not sure who the admin was who thought <laughs> this would go down well, because the stats were embarrassingly bad for the guy. And I think they pulled the tweet because the replies probably went mental. You know, it was an embarrassing um, tweet for his stats because they were so poor. And unfortunately, I think there are too many players like him on the books now. You know, Lamella, Mora, you know, all those players. Again, you know, players who can get in a good position, but then can't deliver when they need to. And I think now those players have had too many batterings and too many beatings, too many um, opportunities like last night where there's been pressure and they get seen to crumble. That I think now you do just need to get rid of some of them and bring in fresh faces who can kind of change things up a bit and bring a new mentality. Because I do think that, you know, a mentality issue is a real problem down there at the moment. And Holly, these two comments from two different people pretty much sums up where we are as a fan base. So Quasi Swatson has sort of intimated that no team or no manager could have dealt with how we played last night because we had an awful defence and a rebuild is needed. However, Daniel Parry offers the point that has our fan base as a whole forgotten what Levy's like? People are saying, oh, we need a massive overhaul in terms of defence, but Levy's not the kind of man to go out and buy four new defenders. We need to invest, but we won't. So what is actually going to happen? I mean, you'd have to be a scientist to answer that question. <laughs> it's, 
It's a very, very tough question. Like I said, I think our fan base is, is very split on the matter. We know what needs to happen, but we know it won't happen. We're we're stuck in turmoil, basically, because like you said, we all know we need to shuffle up that defence. We all know we need preferably a whole new back four. Well, or something to that level, really, because right now, like Jose is supposed to be a defensive manager. That's what he's titled. But right now, he can't even manage to sort out that back four. And I personally think that the players that he played in that back four are seriously not good enough. And that's, OK, that might be a knee-jerk reaction to last night. But I've said it for ages, like left back and right back are a really big problem for us. And again, like I don't know what Jose could have potentially done last night to sort that uh, four at the back out apart from starting Toby that would be my only change but then when they've lost their head and decisions haven't gone our way you can't bring players back round it seems like we've touched on this mentality again something happens and we just go to pot and that was so evident last night so yeah I can see what both of those guys are saying we know what needs to happen but we know it won't happen well I'll stay with you Holly if we look at our back four from, say, 2015-16. You had Rose and Walker, full-backs, the Belgians as centre-backs, you know, arguably, at that time, the best back four in the league and one that we all sort of wish we had again. Problem is, it's going to cost a hell of a lot of money to get back to that quality because if you want good quality, we're not in a position where we can bed him in and we've got two, three years to work in a project. You know, we need results yesterday. We're not going to be forking out 150 million. It's simply not down the back of the sofa to find anyway. So... What can be made in terms of recruitment, updates, replacements, or is it the same again next season? Like you said, it is so tough. And I've always said we didn't invest at the right time. We just rode that wave and just clung on for dear life. And like you said, like Walker had enough. He went to go win something and um, good on him for going to City and managing to win the league. Do you know what I mean? Like nobody... Nobody seemed at the time to think, hang on a minute, our luck's going to run out soon. We need to invest now. Otherwise, like we said, it's going to be too expensive now to improve that back four. So, unfortunately, if someone does go and we bring someone in, it's only going to be one good improvement, hopefully, in that in that back four. Like, it's not going to change dramas- dramatically. So, like I said, like we just didn't invest at the right time. Like, OK, hindsight is a wonderful thing, but... With a football team and when you're owning a club, like your your owners must think to themselves, hang on a minute, if we're going to want to reap in more awards in years to come, we need to invest in now. But that just hasn't happened with our board. It's just like, let's reap the money now and hope for the best later. Well, this is it, Carl, isn't it? Because when you look at how close Tottenham have got, and we spoke about Sly Doors moments and nearly getting to the promised land, you look at it from a the way that Enoch operate themselves and they see it first as a business and a vehicle to make multiple amounts of profit, eye-watering amount of profit. Why are they not thinking, if we just threw a bit more at this, we really could be even better and the profits we'd make would be then astronomical. What is their mindset stopping them from being a truly big club? Yeah, it's hard to fathom, isn't it? I mean, I put a tweet out there today, I think, saying that, you know, everybody hails Daniel Levy as this great businessman, um, and I'm sure he probably is. Unfortunately, football is run differently than the way businesses do. You know, in football, if you want to be the best there is and, and, you know, make money, you have to do it on the pitch first and then the rest follows. You know, in normal business, you can probably put the infrastructure in and build up over time. 
football doesn't work like that. You know, Chelsea haven't done it like that. Any club who's had money hasn't done it like that. You have to be winning things on the pitch and then the rest will follow. And the thing that you can't fathom is that a good businessman should surely say, if I make this a winning team, then the rest will come. You know, the rest will come and come even more than what it could if we're an OK team and, and the way Spurs have done it. Look at where we are now, having not won anything. We could have been further ahead in this project than we are now if we'd been winning things because your prize money goes up, your fan base increases because not only are you getting, say, the South Korean fans because of Son, but all those that are coming into football worldwide, they go and support the team that are winning something, like Chelsea. They aren't telling me that all those fans in Asia, America, they're not all Chelsea fans because they love their history. They're <laughs> Chelsea fans because they were winning things at the time when Abramovich went in and they started watching football and they wanted to support the team that were winning. So they're Chelsea fans because they were winning. And that's the way football works. You know, if, you, if we got ourselves in that position on the pitch to be winning stuff and winning leagues then I'm telling you now, we still would have got the stadium and the training ground. We still would be having the events like Lady Gaga, the NFL, you know, the fights and everything. You'd also have a ton of extra revenue coming in from supporter base around the world and the prize money that comes with winning trophies and bringing the sort of players you can in. So I think, you know, the great businessman has missed a trick because I think the club could be earning a lot more money now if they'd just spent, say, 80 million more at a time when we were that, you know, within a fag paper of, of getting somewhere. But now we're further back than we've ever been before. And, and their only realistic money maker now is the stadium because the team won't be doing anything for them on the pitch. Well, this is it, Holly. Have Enoch got the appetite to chuck money at it? Because let's say if we've been honest, that they finish ninth, 10th in the table. They are going to have to find some upgrade then sort of the next season because obviously we can't settle for mid-table mediocrity year in, year out. Problem is, unless Jose Mourinho finds 11 players sitting in the academy and he has some genius masterstroke, we're not going to improve dramatically overnight. So where's this swing back going to come from? Because if he can't put the money in, it looks quite worrying, doesn't it? I think we've just got to say it's worrying because... The thing is, what I can't comprehend is what we've already touched on. I think for Enik, I think it was, let's just get the team into top four. So then, okay, we could potentially push for a trophy. We could get into the UCL. That's more money in. But like, they don't want to invest any more. They're quite happy sitting top four. And I think now it's come to bite them on the bum. Because now they're thinking, oh, hang on a minute. We're out of UCL. We're out of Europa. We've got no more money coming in necessarily from... European uh, games and things like that. They're generally sad. I think they're worried themselves as well. I know us as fans, we're absolutely we're not we're not looking forward to the next season. I know I'm not. But the thing is, they're also going to be sat there worrying because, like we said, they've got no other income coming in now. I mean, they've been very unfortunate with COVID, with things being cancelled. But I'm sure Levy's had some master plan, which means that when it's all back up and running again, he'll get the money for it. But like I said, I, I generally and I hope as well, as bad as this sounds, I generally think as well, this would be a good thing. I think this will hopefully teach them a lesson to be like, look, 
we were so high up you just didn't invest the money when we really needed to and now we've fallen from grace and now we've got to invest even more money to get back to where we were well this is it Cobb because you'd like to think that this will teach them a costly lesson regression has been quite obvious you've gone from second third fourth like I say then maybe whatever number between seven and fourteen will this be the moment where Enoch go oh god we actually we need to really get our fingers out and start spending money we say that and think yeah this is it this is the knee-jerk moment but you just can't really see it happening can you especially in this climate yeah, I mean, that's the biggest problem, isn't it? The fact that given the current climate now, I don't at any point see Enix suddenly saying, right, that's it, we're going to go on a 250 mil splurge in the summer uh, and try and recover what we can. And at the time, you would have needed something like Champions League football to at least give you a chance of being able to do that. Because again, if we don't make Europe, who's coming then? Because your pool of players that you can go to and say, come and play for us because we're really promising and we're on the way up. That just goes right down. You know, you can get a section of a, of a player list and just cut that in half and go, well, none of them are int- going to be interested in coming to us now. So now we're looking at this list. And this list of players probably isn't going to be good enough to get us where we want to be again. Um, if they did spend the money as well, I'm not confident that they can go out and bring the players in that they should do. Because so far... When you look at purchases that we've made, I wouldn't trust them to spend another penny, to be honest. You know, where's Ryan Sessignon right now? £30 million we spent on this guy, and, and he can't even make the bench at the moment. So what what is going on with the players we buy? You know, and again, you can put this back to Nkudus, Unjais, you know, Janssens, um, you know, that we have wasted so much money over the years that, again, you sit there and go, if you'd just put that money rather than those six players there, if you'd just gone out and spent that one lump sum on a real world-class player, who knows, that could have been that player that pushed us over the edge. You certainly can't see... I can't see them going and spending money. I think they now just look for the stadium as being the cash cow that makes them their money. Yeah, I've got a feeling you might be right, unfortunately. And on that sour note, we've hit full time. So thank you, you two, for getting all your... um harboured fears and uh, worries from Thursday off your chest Holly thanks for your time once again this week cheers thank you uh, yeah no it was um, it was good to go over it again but now I feel like I'm in a bit of a mood again <laughs> go and crack open a drink that's what I'm going to do after this <laughs> maybe one or two Carl thanks for your time mate I hope you'll join me next week yeah definitely mate you know I would say I look forward to it but <laughs> we never know what the situation could be by the time the next one comes round. That's true. I mean, I think we look forward to this. I think it's just watching the football beforehand, which is yeah, the worry. That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> with, with that in mind, we play Monday night, don't we? And you, we usually record Mondays, of course. So I would assume we'll be doing this on Tuesday night, if that's right with you, Colt. Yeah, that makes sense, mate. Right, I'll get that in the diary. So, listeners, it's Tuesday, not Monday this week. And with that said, it just leads me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. And as always, come on, you Spurs. For Spurs fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. For match highlights, interviews and the best Tottenham videos and podcasts, download the free Coys app now from the App Store and Google Play.